Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house and you can get 20% off your order and free international shipping. This is episode 94. We've got Brendan O'Donnell from Newport Craft, one of the OG guests. Uh, fun fact, still to this day, as we mentioned during the interview, only guest to ever call in on a landline phone and he mm-hmm. will take that to the bank because we don't plan on breaking that anytime soon and he's still got a flip phone so he definitely uh is an old school but an og for the podcast and a great friend of the program and we're a big newport craft just fans in general i mean they make good beer they have obviously saved the robots with radiant pig and bushwick pilsner from braven and great spirits with their distilling. They're doing a bunch of different stuff and they have a lot of great restaurants as well. So, I mean, he's just an interesting fella and aligns to us pretty, I mean, you know, he, he has all the similar likes to us, which makes the conversations easier, not only on the business and the beer side, but Yankees fan, he collects cards. He just appreciates the sport and like the, 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 the OG players, like a Miguel Cabrera fan that like, I respect the hell out of that. It's like, yeah. you like, like, do you like a guy that was just always very good? And now we're seeing the tail end of his career and it kind of sucks, but you are, you respect a, a true player. So I'm a big Brendan fan and we are always thankful to have him on the show. Yeah. I don't know if anyone I've ever met rides or dies with like one of those OGs. Like, I feel like you or I, like if we were like, if we saw Albert Pujols play Yankee stadium or like even Fenway, like making, which is closer to us at this point, like if we made our way up there, we'd be like, all right, cool. Like we can appreciate this. This is really sick. Cause like we grew up with them and Mickey's one of those guys too, but I don't think I've ever met like anyone that actually rides or dies with them. Like Brendan does, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Mm-hmm. Like I would definitely go see Albert Pujols at Fenway park. Right. That you know? I, I think the rational like baseball fan that grew up in our generation would a million percent do that. Like you're in the Boston area, you know, for us, it's an hour up to Fenway. It's a no brainer. Like, oh, cool. We get to see a, a dude that was literally like you could select him in backyard baseball. Yeah, um, he was that legendary to us. And I think that's really cool that that like I, I don't want to say like he has that relationship with Mickey, but like he's, he's ride or die with him, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that whole generation of baseball players, and we're getting into a tangent, but it's worth noting, but it's like, you know, like David Ortiz, like he just got inducted to the hall of fame. Like that right. guy, 2000s to 2010s, he was that dude, him, Albert Pujols, Derek Jeter, A-Rod, Tim Lincecum, uh, Buster Posey. <laughs> like, it's like a whole generation, like basically like MLB just put out like a, um, a little graphic it was like oh who's like next to make the hall of fame and stuff and there was just some names that was like well they put jacoby ellsbury which is also like go kick rocks with that but like mike napoli john lackey jared reeve uh weaver jason yeah, weaver was good man like those are names that i just sat there and i was like wow you know napoli is like talking about going on a tangent here but you know napoli is the first base coach of the cubs now is he really I had no idea. I saw him a few weeks ago, like when the Cubs played, the Yankees went down and saw Napoli and a dude with a beard wearing 55 at first base. I'm like, that can't be. That's a coincidence. Turns out shit, he's working for Rossi. (laughs) I don't know if I hate that or love it, honestly. And Willie Harris is the third base coach. Remember him? He was the, uh, the hell he played center field for the Mets. I'm pretty sure. 
short little dude. He sort of stole a bunch of bases. He's been Napoli's been the uh, third base coach since or the first base coach since 2020. <sighs> He's been there for two years. Yeah, like that's just the most sleeper. Like, oh, we're gonna hire Mike Napoli. Okay. Yeah. all right i'm number one kind of jealous okay number two like what weird i mean all-time season record for most strikeouts by a red sox player and a cleveland indian (laughs) in 2009 he led all american league catchers in errors he was kind of a yankee killer though like he would there was a stretch where he just got up there he like bases loaded and he he, i think he might have hit if it wasn't a grand slam it was very clutch like peak of Yankee Red Sox like clashing in the late 2010s you just get up there and mash like August September Mike Napoli at Yankee Stadium like I would just turn the TV off yeah and roll the Chapman pitching and be like no this is, this is not gonna end well I don't think they ever cross paths mm. I don't think they, I think ever they did paths. that's my mm. hot take I think they did mm. Fact check that. All right, you've got Mike Napoli's stats up. I'm going to get a roll of Chapman here. We're going to see when he came to the Yankees. No, yeah, because they... He was a Red Sox from 2013 to 15. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Am I wrong? That's sad. What about a cool narrative? He was an angel from 06 to 10, a, a ranger from 11 to 12, a Red Sox to 13 to 15, back to the Rangers in 15, Cleveland Indian in 2016 and then back to the Rangers in 2017. Damn. Damn. He's been out of the league for t- five years. Yeah. Too. That's kind of wild. And that's talking Mike Napoli for our intro here. That's Thanks. It. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with us there. Um, we'll talk more sports because we've got in our ball segment, some good stuff on the trade deadline coming up in the MLB. Uh, a lot of weird stuff went down in the sports world this week too. Um, crazy stuff. We'll get, we'll get to there in a second here. Um, we'll go right into our guest this week, uh, sort of a beers and business hybrid as well. And Brendan O'Donnell. Uh, and balls. There's a little balls. Actually, no, there's a good chunk of, uh, of, of balls in there, too. Um, uh, Brendan O'Donnell of Newport Craft, he was all the way back. I don't have the exact episode number up, but he was one of the OGs. He was 2020. I think late 2020 when we had first started this. Actually, episode 49, uh, May 4th, 2021. I was wrong. Um, that was an awesome interview, arguably one of the best we've uh, we had as we were sort of making this podcast. Um, excellent, dude. Uh, if you haven't been to Newport Craft, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff going on there now. Brennan's going to talk us through all the renovations they've got going on, some of the big plans uh, for Newport Craft. If you're a Rhode Islander and you haven't been there, you are missing out. Go down to Newport Craft now, and Brendan's here to tell you all about it. Let's dive in. All right, everybody, with this this week, we got the recurring guest, the CEO of Newport Craft, and the man of many talents in Newport and across the country. Brendan O'Donnell joins the show. We are live, not in the brewery, but in a, in a production trailer, you can call it a construction trailer, as the public will see, but we'll dive into what's going on at Newport Craft and while we're in this trailer. But Brendan, welcome back to the show, and how's everything going? Thanks for having me. Nice to see you guys. Um, these are... They're good. Uh, we're in the trailer because it's, it's too hot in the yeah. right now with all the construction going on. But yeah, there's you can see the massive crane behind us where uh, they're erecting the building right now. It's the first day we're doing that, which is extremely exciting. Um, 
we have this plan that we put together almost five years ago now that's coming to fruition, which is extremely exciting. It's a huge project. Uh, the town, the state, all involved. A lot of local people that really helped us out get to this point. And like we were talking about before, the logistics behind a, a project like this, it's not just you snap your fingers and you build a building. There's city council meetings, there's national grid meetings, there's equipment meetings, there's staff meetings. And oh, by the way, like we can't shut down production, we still have to grow 20%. So. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, you're hitting it all right now, but the midst of this renovation, it's four or five years in the making. What's going on? And tell us about this new location, this location 2.0. So when we took over what was formerly Newport Storm in the end of 2016, I think 2017, um, this building was built in 2010. And at that point, uh, Rhode Island did not allow uh, people to come into breweries and do tastings tours. It was not only was it taboo, uh, it just wasn't allowed. So this facility wasn't built to accommodate hospitality essentially. And with the brewing and distilling industry the way it is today, where people want to come and do tours, they want to have weddings, they want to have an experiential thing, we can't really offer that to our full ability. And we also now have a distillery, a brewery that has three brands underneath it, RTVs. And we're in the one of the most popular towns in the United States for weddings. So we quickly grew. Um, when we took over in 2017, we were doing about 1,800 barrels. And last year, we became a regional brewery, so doing over 15,000 barrels. And we're also doing over 3,500 uh, 4.5 liter cases. And we have about 1,100 barrels of aging rum and whiskey. So where does that all go? <laughs> so we had to buy a bonded warehouse um, to get a lot of the barrels out because we have some barrels that are over 12 years old. Um, we are a brew distillery, which is a term I think we actually designated that I'm now hearing more and more in the industry. So as like the 250th largest brewery in the country at this point, I think there's only like 15 of us that are true brew distilleries. And we wanted to really separate the floor out where we have a brewery, we have a distillery, we have packaging, and we have hospitality. And they don't get in the way with each other. And logistics is really, logistics and efficiency are the two things that we really want to do with this project. So my partners and I, and truly our whole brewery team um, has come together and really made an amazing plan and we're getting this building that's being put up right behind us is really the first phase with the parking lot the second phase is going to be the old tasting room which is going to be converted into more of the brew floor and then the third phase is going to be turning off the current brew floor and fixing that all up so we're never stopping production we're doing it longer so that we can uh, do it the right way and keep production going and for 2023, it's going to be very special. So we're looking at the plans to ramp up the production, to increase the physical location by three times, right? And since you mentioned at the beginning of the show, like, oh, by the way, grow, uh, you know, grow production by 20% yeah. too. So, you know, how does that logistically work? I'm not going to ask you to divulge, you know, and go through all the engineering plans and whatnot, but how, you know, when, when that was a marching order, right? Like increase the physical location and ramp up the production. You know, what did that look like from the start? It's my first time doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I wish, no, I think we, when we went, I have a lot of smart people around me that are my partners and then also our, our employees. One of the things I think we talked about last time is one of the best things you can do as a leader in the company is that you're almost like a coach. So as a coach, you have to listen to the owner um, as a coach, you have to kind of push your employees around and, and surround yourself with people that know more about it than you do. So I have on our production floor 
I think three or four people that have gone through multiple build-outs. Um, we have an amazing general manager that's gone through a huge build-out of a hotel in Long Island. Um, and my partners also come from a manufacturing background, and then one of my strengths is logistics. So really what we've done is try to figure out um, how can we simplify this? And I think a lot of the times from, we, this isn't the first place we've looked at as far as a brewery. We've looked at, I think at this point, I've looked at over 60 to 70 different breweries, whether they were for sale, whether we were trying to acquire them. Um, and the common denominator is people either build too small, they either build too big, and they usually build too late. So we looked at this early on because we knew in our five and 10 year plan that we were gonna grow. Uh, we had a facility that was underutilized it was in a seasonal town, which is Newport, which is why we bought the, the brands and created our brand collective that's now in New York, New Jersey, down the East Coast. Um, but even when we were running at like 50% capacity, we didn't want to get to a point where we were at 100% capacity and had to contract the product out. We had to do that last year. And what happens is you start sending your beer off to another brewery to make it, and then your margins go from 37, 38% down to 2%. And I would rather, uh, have that margin so we can make money, but also be more efficient with our, our purchasing power and everything else. And once we started to get closer and really figure out what our max output is of our facility was, which was really last year, we really put the pedal to the metal. And we got ahead of um, COVID with buying our metal materials and our wood materials before it was too late. We could lock in pricing. And we also uh, figured out a way that we could get ahead of our brewing schedule. I have some of the smartest minds in the industry on our, our on our production team, but all really around us. And we've been able to map out growing this year without contracting and not getting not letting construction get in the way. Now, it sucks to not have our back uh, tasting room outside, but we've pivoted and we have like a place on the hill and in the parking lot and we've we have a, a parking lot somewhere else. So it's just really thinking outside the box and there's a great book by Ryan Holiday that I think I probably referenced last time called The Obstacle is the Way. It's like very like Socratic kind of philosophy where, yes, we have this obstacle, but how can we use this to our advantage and how can we pivot and use this for marketing? Like we're very unique right now where we have one of the biggest projects probably going on in the East Coast for brewing. So all eyes are on us. So let's use that to our advantage to get into things like Boston Calling or New York Mets or the bigger accounts like our whiskey just got into the number one restaurant in the world, Labor and Dean. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's not being afraid and accepting that it's okay to fall on your face and learn from it and really rolling the dice because we don't want to be mediocre. We want to be the best. Now, obviously there's a ton of things going on with this expansion. Some that you talked about before, some that we've, our new developments in the past couple months, but what is your, what part of this whole growth, this growing pain, are you most excited about? For it to be done. Very fair point. I'm really excited to see um, what the on-site facility looks like, truly, because we've had to like change around our little tasting room that has capacity for like a hundred people, like six different times. We've had to. We only have two bathrooms in there, so if we get jam-packed, there's nothing we can do. We don't have air conditioning in the general facility because we, for our barrel aging spirits, we want to have the natural heat and the, the coldness. So it's uncomfortable in the summer, you can't go upstairs. And in the back, it was also just kind of a rigged tap room that wasn't really up to my personal standards. 
So having this facility that's going to be 80 feet in the air, that's going to look over the Pell Bridge and downtown Newport, where it's going to have a very vineyard-like feel, where it's going to be indoor-outdoor with glass walls. You can have a 300-person wedding there. We can have an Oktoberfest there. We're going to have a downstairs facility that's also an outdoor bar. We're going to be working with farmers markets. We're going to have a summer concert series. We're going to do everything. And like when you, if you go to Nantucket, you see Cisco. Cisco is literally the only game in town right there. And I'm not saying that's what we're trying to do, but we want to be a destination in the north end of Newport. This is kind of the forgotten about space in Newport. I mean, Newport is bumping this summer. I mean, tennis week last week was crazy. The cruise ships are back. People want to drink. People want to have fun. And it's only going to keep going. Like, people are getting vaccinated. There's The COVID pandemic is going to always ramp up and kind of like the flu, I think. And I'm not a medical expert, so don't take my advice on that. But I'm just hoping that people want to keep having fun and doing things because we're going to be having very unique experiences here, whether it's building a rum museum, having cars and coffees, doing farmer's markets, everything you can imagine. That's why like, we're building a catering kitchen upstairs where we're not going to be a restaurant, but if someone wants to have a wedding here, we can do the wedding. Got the opportunity so to do, the opportunity so, yeah. do stuff. So, I mean, going on top of that, for the casual beer fan, people just come in, see it, you guys make some good stuff, and they walk away. But for the person in Rhode Island that loves the whole customer experience that you're building, or people that are looking for this some type of experience, can you explain why Newport Craft is different and the whole brand itself is different? Well, first, we're one of the oldest distributing craft breweries in the state. I mean, Narragansett now has Providence, and Narragansett's obviously been around since like 1890, so they're really the first. Um, I think Coddington down the road was the first tap room. We, not we, but Newport Storm was 1999, and that's the company that we now own. And because of the everything that the former owners did, where they were able to lobby uh, down in DC and kind of it paved the way for a lot of the reason why there's breweries that are doing self-distribution or even having the taproom experiences today. So we have the history, we're kind of like the OGs, um, but we, we bring a very unique thing where we, we're brand collective. So our three beer brands are very specific, but also very different. So Newport Craft is kind of the everybody's, it hits everything like we do. We have a Solera program that Ben Chambers and Scott and um, our whole team are building out where we have the unique aspect of having barrels from our spirits. So we also bought footers recently that we're going to be, footers that we're putting in recently. Um, we're going to put them in, in the new uh, renovation that will have about 60 barrels of capacity for wood aging, kind of like what Proc does. Um, and I think Proc is really the standard right now in Rhode Island with doing the barrel aging stuff. But um, we can do something very unique where we have the rum barrels, the whiskey barrels. We just bought uh, Lafitte Rothschild wine barrels, sake barrels, maple syrup barrels. So right now in our program, we have over 150 barrels of aging beer. We have some beer that's over three years old. Uh, we have a pilot system. So we have a professional brew system, and then we have an even bigger professional brew system that's coming in where we're gonna have over 32 60 barrel tanks, of doing 60 barrel batches. But we have a seven barrel program where we do some really fun stuff that you can only buy out of the brewery. So like we just did for October, we're doing I think six German style beers that five of them will only be available out of the tasting room. Um, one, we're doing a festival that's gonna be kind of distributed widely. And Newport Craft is hitting the sours, the stouts, and all like the stuff really getting driven by road trip and road raging coast. And then Rag, uh, Radiant Pig is uh, very like your craft beer drinker's beer. Very IPA forward, 
really interesting sours, very interesting take on a Pilsner, doing a New Zealand style. And then Braven is, so was the flagship being Bushwick Pilsner, that's really the main beer that we do with it right now. I mean, I don't want to say it's a one beer company, but when we bought Braven, I carried Bushwick Pilsner at my old bar in New York, and I used to see it all the steakhouses, and it's a 110-year-old Czech recipe. It's a great Pilsner. And with Ben Chambers, who's now our vice president in New England, but came on originally as our master brewer, he worked at Miller Coors as the head monster for a while. He was at Sweetwater and helped develop the 420 beer. So we know how to make lager beers, which a lot of people in our space don't really want to do because of the tank time, but we can afford to do it because we know maybe the right yeast to speed it up. We can do different things to make it really interesting. So we really can offer a beer for every kind of person that wants to come here. And oh, by the way, we have spirits and we have a cocktail program. We're working on a non-alcohol beverage program. We have RTDs that we're selling out of here. We have frozen drinks. And you're in Newport, Rhode Island. So like, it's a great place to be in the summer. I mean, you guys are so unique in so many senses, but I know you remember this. I think this is, actually, I'm 100% sure you're still the only guest to call in on a landline, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's because I was in Virginia. I I think I was also on, like, an ETV, and I called in on a landline. Hey, if I... If I had my way, I still would have a landline because I was telling Will before we started, I thought TikTok was Instagram real. <laughs> yes. I know. But I, I, do have a, I do have a flip phone. I think it's in my bag somewhere. Because, no. And the reason I have the flip phone is because it actually gets better service in a lot of places, believe it or not. Because wow. there's like 50 of us that still have them. So there's not a lot of competition. It's But also, like, if you really think about it, like, what is the number one thing that people are getting like, crushed on these days with getting in trouble? Like, people put too much stuff in writing, and I'm not saying I have anything to hide, but, like, we overshare as a society, in my opinion. Like, you don't need to write paragraphs and emails and texts. That's there forever. Yeah. Like, I use a phone to be a phone, you know? Maybe, right, I'm, call maybe I'm 35 and old that way. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Nothing yeah. wrong with there, that. There's nothing wrong with it, for sure. Um, sure. So, we'll just bring it up every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with it, but every time you come on the pod, we're going to let yeah. you know that you called in on the landline the yeah. first time. Um, so, no secret, a lot of stuff going on out here. It's sort of, as you mentioned, there, there's still some kinks to work out, but what can you guys do now? You know, what, What's going on this summer for you guys, even with all the construction going on, and 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 what's new, I guess, for, for before craft in the interim? Well, production has not slowed down at all. We have Folk Fest coming up this weekend, and we're doing two beers for Folk Fest. We're doing the Folk Fest Newport Pilsner, and we're doing California Love. So we just sent out about 2,000 cases of beer for that. Um, we pivoted with not having our uh, tap room in the outdoor area in the back, but we have a tasting room, we have an outdoor area in the parking lot, and then up on the hill, which we'll show you guys after, we have a bunch of Adorama chairs, and we're doing concerts and outdoor music and stuff. So we have essentially the same offerings. It's just kind of moved around a little bit and there's construction going on. Uh, for new things, having a pilot system is amazing because we can really test things on a small scale. And I think our while our business is really 80-75% distribution, our tap room is our best marketing place. Like We could spend $100,000 doing a marketing campaign nationally, but we'll get more out of a customer coming in here and we becoming their beer. So what we're really doing is trying to reinvigorate that customer experience and be very engaging with our bartenders and 
having unique offerings with like flights and we did, uh, we're releasing a new spirit that's going to be called the uh, Cooper's blend. So Cooper on the ship was the one that managed the beer and the water. They ended up being the most important person because you had to drink that stuff to survive on the ships. Um, who would know more about what would go well or what beers would you want to drink from the Cooper, the person that's essentially making it, uh, maintaining it. So the whole program is built about the wood because with spirit aging, really a lot of the flavor comes from the wood. So with Thomas too, we're doing a special release on National Rum Day that is finished in Newport Vineyards Port Barrels because we actually help distill the port. And it's our single barrel uh, Thomas II, and it's finished in the, the port barrels, and it's only released out of our tasting room. And we did a single malt release. Uh, we have the single malt and Lafitte Rothschild barrels that will come next year, which we're going to do a, a dinner with Lafitte Child wine and the whiskey that's going to be like a $300 bottle that will only be sold probably out of the tasting room. And but we have to be cognizant of the fact that like, we try to send things into distribution because our customers are liquor stores, restaurants, bars, our distributors, like we partner with, they do a great job. So we try to make things very unique for people coming out here and like doing different things. Like on Cinco de Mayo, we had a Mexican lager that we, we sold out of here. We do different stouts and like ambers and things that we experiment on out of here. And then if they go well, usually the following year we'll put them into the big production. So you're always, Seeing something different is kind of what I'm getting at. And there's a lot of unique things that you can do here. We get a lot of uh, birthday parties, we get a lot of bachelorette parties, a lot of bachelor parties that come out here and just kind of continue to grow off those experiences. And then we partnered with the New England Pedicap, so like, I think most of the Pedicaps have our branding on it. Um, we're trying to do a lot in town with Tennis Week, we're the official beer sponsor. Folk Fest, we're the official beer sponsor. Jazz Fest, we're the official beer sponsor. Boston Calling, we're the official rum. The Mets, we're a craft beer and rum partner. Like we try to kind of be there so that people just start seeing us more and more. Do you think it's been hard trying to capture that market space or getting that brand recognition when it's, you know, you've been through so many different changes. You obviously acquired the brewery and now changed it to Newport Craft. You have these other uh, sister brands that are now with it, tied in with Audrey Hospitality. Has it been kind of difficult navigating through those waters or are people starting to realize the connection and the brand recognition between all of your uh, entities? Everything takes time. Um, I think we had to really earn people's trust. And once you do that, once you show them that you're uh, a big part of the community, you're not just like a satellite person that comes in for a couple weeks every year and you're on the ground and you're, you're earning your, not only the community's trust, but your distributor's trust, your customer's trust, your employee's trust, things change. Like you, anyone can come and take over a company and say, we're going to put capital into it, we're going to reinvigorate it, we're going to do this, this, and this. But instead of telling people how good we are or what we're going to do necessarily, I think showing people is the better thing. And I mean, when we took over, we were hand canning road trip by hand. So 15 hours to do a pallet, right? The DOs on that are not good. And if someone like sneezes and like they miss one and there's water in it, oops, like there's no controls, right? So that went from like almost a homebrewing situation to Road Trip is now one of the major craft beers in not only Rhode Island, but New England. And not only because it's a great name, but it's a really good beer. Um, so we've had to earn people's trust that we can make a good product, that we're gonna invest in the products, we're gonna invest, like we've gotten all new equipment, we're building a new facility, We've relocated 16 or 17 people from all over the country that are now Rhode Island residents, which is great for the state. 
Um, we're bringing people in that have different backgrounds, that are different people. And while we're a brand collective, like we're really a people collective because the key thing for our company is is having amazing people around us. Like we've had, I can put out ideas that we want to do or goals that we want to hit, but in hospitality, you have to be happy and you have to be engaged and you have to be creative to get those things done. It can't just be like, hey, I'm going to my nine to five and I'm gonna go sit on ESPN for six hours, I'm gonna to go to the bathroom twice, I'm gonna to go to the handicap stall for 45 minutes, I'm gonna to go to Starbucks for an hour and a half. You can't do that when you're making beer, you know, you're making the product. And if you're not happy making that product, it's gonna show. So when you have people that are engaged that are saying like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime to be a part of this company and these people. My father-in-law is a two-time entrepreneurial of the year winner by Ernst & Young. I think there's maybe three people that have ever gotten that designation. He is one of the most innovative, creative, smart people in the world. And he's my partner, he's also my father-in-law. His partner, Mike, same thing, comes from an industrial pump background. He's a brilliant guy, CEO of major companies. I mean, five years ago or six years ago when we started, I didn't know how to be a CEO, right? I mean, it's something that you learn from experience, but. When you're going to the gym with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant every day, you learn how to play basketball pretty quickly. So you learn these lessons and you you kind of put a team together of people that believe in a common goal. And if you make a good product long enough, if you uh, invest in the community, become part of the community, and you're authentic, it's hard not to like. And that's a perfect segue into your role as the CEO. What have been some of the biggest challenges and difficulties for you, and on the flip side, the most rewarding aspect of the role? I mean, I'm, I still consider myself pretty young. I'm 35, and... You're still plenty young. Like, <laughs> yeah, you guys make me feel old, but I'm Like 10 years on us. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, when I was your guys' age, I was, I was in finance still, and I was making a decision on leaving finance. I stayed in finance for five and a half or six years, and... I quit when I got promoted, like I told you guys. And I think the hardest thing to learn, and it's hard to have naturally, and I don't know of anyone that really does have it naturally, is just to automatically have that confidence that, not that your shit doesn't stink, because you never want to come off that way, but that ultimately there's decisions that I have to make that only I can make, that my partners can even make, that I have to make for our team, that I have to make for our company, and not second-guessing myself, believing in what I'm doing, and knowing that it'll be okay if I mess it up. It's hard to learn that, and you can really only learn that by falling on your face like 50 to 60 times, and then going through it in an experience. It's like the first time I remember walking out when I played baseball and having to pitch at a stadium that was 5,000 people. It was very different than Chatham High School where there was no one behind the dugout. And like I, I have terrible ADD and I couldn't stop looking at people in the crowd when I was pitching and I walked the first four people and I got pulled. And I was like, never gonna be able to pitch again. But the next time it didn't even bother me. So like the first time I got on a call with a bank and I was like, oh my God, bankers, bankers, bankers. I'm so afraid of bankers. They're so smart. Goldman Sachs are all these guys like they're brilliant or um, whatever. And then they're in awe of what we're doing and we can kind of pin them with our questions or we're pitching them and they want to be part of what we're doing or I have to hold a quarterly meeting for my staff and they're buying into what we're doing or we make a decision that's, I don't want to say controversial and it ends up being the right thing or the wrong thing. You learn from that. You know, you can't 
fake an experience because you're always going to get something out of it. And it's really maximizing what my day is, learning how to really delegate. Delegate, a lot of people, I think, they use it as a negative term because they're like, oh, well, that's just an owner of the business not wanting to do the work. It's an owner or CEO of the business empowering their managers if they do it the right way. Because if I'm putting a person in a position that maybe they feel like they're, whoa, I've never had this much responsibility, they're going to then learn the same lessons that I did, and then they're going to grow, and they're going to get stronger. And the intellectual property of or the intellectual capital of what is between my staff's ears is something that I think is very unique for us. And a lot of that is because I was put in a position when I was very uh, green to be leading the company, and now I think I do a very good job of it. And I kind of pass that down and empower people to have confidence in themselves, make mistakes. But the most important thing through the entire process is communicating. You can't just huddle up and cry under your desk. Like if you have a problem, you have to talk about it and ask about it. If you need to learn something or ask something, don't just you don't want to make a hundred thousand dollar mistake and you could have prevented it by asking a question. You know? So it's a communication, delegation, and confidence. Yeah. Awesome lessons there. Um, yeah, it's so cool to see what you have going on here and beyond, of course. I think we're uh, every time we come here, we're just like our, our jaws drop because of how much you guys are doing in the community and uh, and elsewhere. So really cool to see that. Um, switching gears totally, I mean, you mentioned baseball, uh, you know, that analogy, but is this the year for the Yankees 28 championship? Getting into the more fun questions here. I don't know. I don't know why we didn't sign Judge. Well, the, the book's not close, necessarily. It's getting there. It's, it's getting there. <laughs> I mean... I don't know. I I get so confused with the Yankees. Like we have some of the worst players in baseball and some of the best players in baseball all combined under one team. <laughs> like I just don't, really don't get it. Um, I I think that we're gonna be really good, but like in the late nineties it kinda reminds me of the Braves and we dominated the Braves, you know? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of teams that can take us in a series if we're not paying attention and all it takes for us is like Stanton and Judge to be off, and we're screwed. Or, God forbid, I'll knock on wood, but Stanton to be hurt. Oh, my God. I mean, both of them. I mean, they both just get hurt so much. And uh, there's a lot of good talent out there. And it's really hard to, like, there's so many unique players, and the pitching is so good now. I don't know. I don't understand how the Angels are so bad, because I'm so... I'm too like, generational talent. like they're just wasting away. I mean, I... Every night that Otani pitches, I am just like, how is this even possible? I mean, we all like baseball, and I like baseball because it's the stats. You go to Cooperstown, and you see things like, no one's ever going to get Pete Rose's hit record. No one's ever going to hit Ricky Henderson's stolen base record. So I used to keep score at games all the time. And Otani doing this for another couple of years, I mean, if he has 100 wins and like 250 home runs and 100 stolen bases and like 1,000 hits and a thousand strikeouts, like he should be in the Hall of Fame. Right, like he's still be better than even if he's slightly above average in both categories. I mean, that's so still better, that much yeah, better because, because he the, does the other part too. I mean, so here's another question: like, how do you sign him to a contract? Do you pay him double? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I mean, because it's like from his batting perspective, he's going to get a bag. Yeah. And from his pitching perspective, starting pitching isn't cheap to begin with. I mean. Noah Syndergaard signed with the Angels for $25 million, and he was coming off Tommy John. It isn't that good to begin with, though. So, yeah. so do you pay him $50 million a year? I don't know. He could be the most... Uh, I mean, he throws 101 miles an hour, 
and he hits balls out with an exit velocity of 121 miles an hour. Is that crazy? And he steals bases. And you know, he's the, fast. And he hits triples. Yeah. That's I mean, the first time that I really was like, oh, man, is when, you probably remember this, when CC Sabathia was on that podcast. I think it was with, it was on his own podcast with, uh, yeah, with Ryan Rucco. And Justin Upton was on with them. They're talking about, you know, what. Justin uh, Upton, by the way, was one of my favorite players. I mean, he's such a. He's awesome. When he was in high school, him, David Wright, and BJ Upton were all on the same team oh, yeah. at Virginia Beach. No, it's Melvin Upton Jr. I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's but so talk about feeling old at the MLB draft. Like, Matt Holiday's son. son and Andrew Jones. And Andrew yeah. Jones' son. Like, How crazy is hell? that? Yeah. What the hell? But, so they're, they're talking on this podcast, and. They were asking who the best baseball player they've ever seen, and Sabathia just, without questioning, goes, "Oh, no, no doubt, Otani is the best baseball player I've ever seen in my life." Also, a physical specimen. He's right, six five. He's a big dude. He's a big guy. Could kick anybody's ass at this table. I'll tell you, so. yeah. I'll tell you the. <laughs> I went to a home run derby in San Francisco, and he wasn't the. He was not a physical specimen, probably in the wrong way. But Prince Fielder hit a ball like I've never seen anyone hit a ball before. Like he would. He was casually just hitting them out of the park, and then Ichiro, complete opposite, he would do like target practice. So they had targets set up where he would, they'd be like, all right, third base line, oh my nail God. the target, home run, pull it, you hit five in a row. It was unbelievable. And then he could throw the ball from putting his foot on the right field fence to home plate in the air. Like these guys are just, they're not normal. Like it's just not a normal thing to be able to do that kind of it's an accuracy challenge. Look at O'Neill Cruz. Yeah, um, he's a specimen. He's, what do you throw? 100 miles an hour across the diamond? He's taller. Seven. Yeah, he's as tall, if not taller, than Judge. It's like as a shortstop. I know. And that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. But with the Otani stuff, it's crazy. Like the thing that bothers me the most about the Angels too is you get these stats, and like Twitter's definitely run a, run amok with it. But it's like. Mike Trout had hit the cycle twice in a game while Otani strikes out 18 and the Angels lose 5-4. <laughs> Something stupid like that where it's like there's got to be a point in their own lives that it's like, it I got to be out. It makes, you, it makes you realize that like baseball, I love soccer too. I'm a huge Team USA soccer and a Chelsea fan. And um, I'm so pumped for the World Cup. Like I'm, I, my wife won't even watch World Cup games with me because I have like a mental breakdown every time I watch them. <laughs> And the World Cup coming to the U.S. and playing at Gillette Stadium, uh, like that's, that's like when when we're like we're like Belgium right now before they won the World Cup because we have this young, talented, amazing team that's going to hit its stride. Like Pulisic's only twenty three. Like when the World Cup comes to the states, he's going to be twenty eight in his prime. prime. Giovanni Reina, like all these guys, world class. All like Leeds is now like Team USA. Like it's crazy. I just still feel on. like when the USA comes back, like Josie Altidore is going to be running it back. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. Really want to get back to the rest now. Never, never again. But it's nuts because like there's all this crazy talent, and people are like, "Where did this come from?" Well, I think it goes back to football in a lot of ways because there's less and less kids that are playing youth football, not only because of the concussions, but because there's really not a financial motive. Like they don't have guaranteed money. So if you're a super hyper-focused, amazing athlete, and you could play baseball, lacrosse, football, hockey, soccer, like you're going to go to where you can get the money, right? I mean, the U.S. now has the camps that, that Europe does for soccer. Uh, lacrosse is starting to get money with the PLL, and like there's real backers, like the people that are on Barstool, I think, backed it. Yep. Um, Rabel's an awesome guy, and like I think that's going to really turn into something. Uh, and you're just getting access to these athletes that would traditionally go to like maybe basketball or football, and now they're like going into baseball, 
across, and you're getting this talent pool because people aren't doing three sports anymore, they're doing one sport. So even for like golf, like you're starting to get people that are hyper-focused from a very young age only doing one thing, and our talent pool in the U.S. for sports is becoming pretty crazy. Right on, right on. And then same with baseball too. Kind of on the sadder side after this positive conversation we just had, is it time for, or is it time that Miguel Cabrera hangs up the cleats? I mean, he did get that special legacy uh, to be in the All-Star game, which kind of is that, I know. The last, the last hurrah. Would you turn down $60 million over the next two years to retire, though? I mean, yeah. That's, the Tigers probably should cut him. I mean, he doesn't have any power anymore. What's sad about Miguel Cabrera is he's a gen, and this isn't because he's my favorite player, but he's a generational leader. He's, I mean, every baseball person will say that. I mean, he is such a special hitter. If he played in Yankee Stadium, he would have 600 home runs. Easily. He's, I don't even think it's a question. Yeah, if he didn't, the last four years of his career, he's been hurt two of those years and only hit over 15 home runs, and he's still over 500 home runs. If he didn't get hurt, he'd have over 2,000 RBIs right now. He has like 1850. He's got 3,100 almost hits. He's got 605 doubles. So you're talking about a top 10 in every offensive category. And he bats 310. Like, who bats over 300 anymore? That's like when my dad and I used to like do batting practice, I was small when I was younger and I got bigger as I got older, which doesn't work well when you're trying to play college sports. And um, he's like, just be a 300 hitter. Like you get three out of 10 and you get in the Hall of Fame. There's like 16 guys in all of baseball that hit 300 now. Yeah. And Miguel Cabrera threw 10,000 at-bats, has 3,100 hits. That's so he's batting 311 for his career, <laughs> which is nuts. I mean, he's overweight. He had a little bit of a drinking problem back in the day. <laughs> He's made some questionable choices. But from a pure offensive standpoint, I don't really think that there's that many hitters that are better. Right. And that team is one of the biggest what-ifs. When like the 2010 to 15 Tigers. Verlander. Like, Scherzer. Oh, don't even remind yeah. me. I know. <laughs> and what, I'm, I, hope, I just hope Scherzer, Verlander, and Nicky go into the Hall of Fame together so I can go up there and uh, do that and bring my son up there with my dad. That'd be really cool. That would be unbelievable. Yeah. That's like, uh, that. talk about once a lifetime, that's right well, there. Well, it depends on those guys even retire. That's <laughs> Verlander's. So I, I think maybe he should retire. Yeah. Still. I mean, they, the Tigers have such a good young team, and I almost think that if they were smart, they would do what the Red Sox did with Ortiz, where they play him, like, maybe give him 100 at-bats for the year. Like, do when he was on his end. You know, right. Like, just yeah. only DH him. Let him mentor. The, like, Spencer Torkinson or whatever his name is, Riley Green. They have so much young talent. Like, he could be a great mentor for those guys for the next two years, and they owe him sixty million, so he's not going to go anywhere. Right? So just use him effectively. And even uh, even like a, a kill the do guy that went off last yeah. year, they fill all those guys. Or yeah. do the Bobby Bonilla contract where you get a million a year for the next? We uh, what is it? The twentieth or we missed it? Twenty days. Bobby Bonilla getting a million bucks must be nice, huh? Just sit and do nothing and get a million bucks. That's typical Mets. Well, the Reds right now, their seventh highest player is Ken Griffey Jr. That's right. Yeah, he hasn't played. That's embarrassing. We were in Cincinnati giving the Reds their crap. Yeah, so whatever. Oh, God. But cards. Uh, last time you were on, we were talking about cards and whatnot. Um, anything new? Are you still keeping up with it? Um, so I am doing, I am like, I'm 35 going on 13. I am a kid in the candy shop. Right now. <laughs> um, so I turned 35 July 11th, and all I wanted for my birthday this year, 
the National Park Convention, which is something I've always wanted to go to since I was a little kid, is in Atlantic City. So it's the 43rd National Park Convention, and it's next week. So I'm going down for three days with my wife. Sweet. Um, and we're, I am ready to go. I have a lot of cash. I have a lot of cash. I have about 200 cards I want to get created. I have stuff for trade night. I have stuff that I'm going to potentially sell, things I want to buy. I've gotten really into the NBA. I don't really collect as much baseball, honestly, right now because, like, so I had O'Neill Cruise cards. I had all that stuff, and I sold it just because baseball has, like, this prospecting. Um, it's the, the people that really collect baseball are prospectors, and what I mean by that is Bowman releases your first rookie card sometimes four years before you're even in the league. So I just sold Jason Dominguez's card, too. Um, because who, he is, someone sold a Jason Dominguez rookie card that was out of five for $405,000. He's 19. Like, you don't know. That's a, yes, if he gets to the pros and he does well, that's going to be a $5 million card. But what if he doesn't, you know? So, like, I try to, I look at my sports cards as, like, a portfolio mix where you have, like, some high risk, some safe, and everything else. And... My only big baseball ones is I have a Otani rookie that's out of five that's incredible. I have a Pujols rookie that was the original like autographed rookie of the Carrera, and then I get I've gotten really into basketball. So I just got an amazing John Morant rookie card that's a perfect card. Um, I got a Michael Jordan Kobe Bryant refractor where um, the front is Michael Jordan and it says East, and the back is Kobe Bryant and it says West. And I've gotten really into these like old um, Kobe Bryant like Michael Jordan cards that. Like in 1996, if you were trying to get a rare card before autographs, they'd be like all shiny and cool, but they didn't hold up well, and they had like foil on them, so they're very, very hard to get in good condition. And Jordan and Kobe are never going to go out of style, so I've been kind of like honing in on going like that route. And then I do make a lot of bets on football. Like I love Kyler Murray, I love uh, Joe Burrow. Um, I'm rolling the dice on Trey Lance a little bit. I think he's going to be pretty good, but I don't know. Jake doesn't agree with me on that one. Ah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm thinking about Daniel Jones. I don't know. Like, Danny Dimes, you get... Uh, this is the year by stock. That's all and I'm Zach saying. Wilson has that dog. In yeah. <laughs> he does have that dog in the Yeah, so yes. I don't know. Um, quarterback, like... So that's the thing, though. Like, if you're going to go football, like, would I like to have a Jamar Chase rookie? Yeah, definitely. But do you know how much it's worth? A thousand bucks. Do you know what a Joe Burrow rookie card is of that same refractor in bad condition? Twenty thousand bucks. So like, if you're really collecting to make money and invest in it, like you kind of have to be specific. Like I still rip boxes for fun because I love it, but there are specific things that I do try to invest in, and I have to be a little bit more cautious now that I have a family. Like if I was on my own, I'd be a disaster. I'd be living, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, I'd be living yeah, in a trailer like this. Living it here. Yeah, yeah I have a beer fridge and like a Bloomberg terminal for sports cards <laughs> yeah. and like a. <laughs> but now you have a wife and a kid's college fund you got to save for it, yeah. so you can't be as, uh, can't be as reckless. Yeah. So we covered all of that, and then, I mean, we'll, we'll close out the sports section with the football. Last time we talked, Giants made two picks that we called. We literally were texting each other and we called them. Like, that was opposite order. order. Yeah, opposite yeah. order. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't rocket science, I will say, for us, but having the Giants do something that you're happy with is, like, Rare. such a big win. and. I've been watching the YouTube channel that the Giants have. Like it's like behind the scenes or something. Right. Like, like, the coaches are awesome, and yeah. like Wink is a beast, and like I love the general manager. Like I think it's a whole new culture, honestly. Like our defensive line could be like freakish with if Leonard Williams gets unlocked and 
uh, Uzi, what's his name? Um, the guy from Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you have Blake Martinez back, and then like our D backs are a little bit soft, but we have great safeties. And then our weapons. It was funny. I got a I got a tattoo recently, and I was right next to Sterling Shepard, and he and we were. I talk, I got to talk to him for like two hours and talk to him. And uh, you're not really supposed to like this place in New York. It was like a super high end place, but he came in right after his surgery, and he had his like. Uh, on uh, his crutches and everything. I think it was his Achilles or something that he blew out. So I got to talk to him a lot, and I was like, I, I mean, this is, I don't want to say this is off the record, it wasn't a secret, but I was just like, so is it going to be different this year? He's like, well, it depends how these coaches are because we have all the talent in the world. Like, it's just like with business, like what I was saying, you may have the most talented people, but can the coach really unlock the talent and get them to work for you? He said Daniel Jones is as good as any quarterback in the in, not of of any quarterback in the league because you have very special quarterbacks like um, the Mahomes, the Brady, yeah, the Josh Allen, yeah. But like he can run, he can throw, he's accurate, he's a big guy, he's confident, and and he he's a leader too. I mean, so we just need to really put the pieces together. We don't have a hard schedule at all. Uh, I think we have one of the easiest schedules. Uh, we're doing the throwback Giants uniforms, which always works. Fire out! I still think we should just get. <laughs> LT to line up for a couple of games. Just he still could probably do a couple of touchdowns easily between yeah. him and Strahan. I oh mean. my god! <laughs> but you know what's super cool is like uh, Uzi Manura, uh He's starting that whole Africa program, and we've gotten a couple of guys that are like six nine projects, and that are like offensive linemen that could be huge. Like the guy in the Eagles, I'm blanking on his name, but there's a lot of exciting things going on, and I. I always think the Giants, I, every year I always make a bet that the Giants are going to win the Super Bowl. Like, I literally make a bet on it just to see what happens. And um, I, I still think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. That might change up to the first week, like <laughs> last year, but yeah. who knows. I mean, last year there was a lot of injuries, and we were all sold on the Joe Judge bullshit. But this year I am, I am just, buying stock. I don't want to be the Patriots. Like, yeah. Watch the Patriots, I'm going to bang my head through the wall. It's just like Bill Belichick just seems like such an asshole. And like, it just seems like it's not fun. You know, and like football is about having fun. You know, like I like the stuff that Belichick's a genius, don't get me wrong. And he's definitely gonna coach in the PLL too at some point. That's what they say. Yeah, and he's a genius. He gets people to buy into his system. His system obviously works. They they are a machine and it's one of the most impressive things in the world. I would never ever want to play there. Because first of all, it's brutally cold, which I would hate. And I just don't think it's fun, and I think when you look at like uh, the Seahawks and Pete Carroll, that's way too much fun. There's like a happy medium that you can have. Maybe it's how the Cardinals have done things, or how some of these college college coaches have done things, like not Urban Meyer, obviously, because he's a disaster at Jacksonville. But goodness gracious, um, didn't even make it a year. No, no, but I think that you just have to find that balance because like these guys don't want to, they don't want to be yelled at, and they don't want to like be treated like children. Like, if you give them respect, they will respect you. And I think that's what we have this year across the board. And I give our ownership a lot of credit for um, setting that up, you know. I think it's going to be – I think we'll at least make the playoffs, honestly. I mean, the, the Eagles scare the crap out of me. Eagles They're going to be really good. good moves. They draft might really be a real good move with uh, Brown. But. Yeah, and um, I think their quarterback is nasty. They have some serious wide receivers. The Cowboys – I just think they suck. Like, I'm never going to give them credit. I'll jump on that bandwagon. Yeah, and they just said to get rid of Amari Cooper, which I think is a bad move. That is a terrible move. Yeah, and Ezekiel Elliott might be my my least favorite favorite professional (laughs) athlete. Like, it just, 
He's a I do like Dak. I, I like say Dak. That. Dak's a good guy. Good story. Good yeah. guy. Mike McCarthy's trash. Oh, yeah, yeah. In, in some ways, yes. Ezekiel Elliott. Every time he does that spoon like feed him thing, I just like. I wish I was on the field and I could just land out. Of <laughs> yeah, because it just reminds me of like I don't know how they hold back because he's just he's just so cocky, you know, like. You suck now, man. You're fat and you yeah. suck. <laughs> never, you will never be Saquon Barkley. You are no. not him. Yeah. Although Saquon, Saquon's gotten uh, some crap from NFL coaches. They said he like didn't know how to be a running back, and he's like a one-trick pony. Which I hope that he takes that and uses as motivation yeah. because he's a beast. If he can get anything of his first two seasons or Penn State, then we're in good shape. Put him as like an Alvin Kamara type player, where it's yeah. like throw throw the ball to him. He's yeah. such an effective receiver. Oh my God. Running back. He's, I think that works for them too because it's not like, I mean, the Giants don't have necessarily superstar wide receivers, so you can make that work. Yeah. You, know, you can have like a family style kind of thing going on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a massive Boston College fan. Like, my whole family went to BC, mm. and uh, BC football is kind of like the Giants. It's hard to root yeah. for. But, like, this is going to be. <laughs> they have their glory days, and yeah. yeah. Well, it's they're the ACC, and you've got to play Clemson and Florida State every this single year. They're going to be good. Yeah. And, um, watching AJ Dillon now in the Packers, like I think he's gonna be, he's gonna, he's kind of like Saquon, like they have the really thick legs and they're, they're like the Derrick Henry model. I think will never go out of style. If you're a 240 pound bruiser and you can run people over and you're fast and you can catch it, you will have a spot. Yeah, it's always if you're five nine, two hundred, you maybe have three years and then you get that one big hit. And I think you're done. Yeah, and there's also a lot of people like that. There are. Which uh, I feel like the only team that can squeeze the life out of those guys from the past, honestly. Yeah. And Jarvis Green Ellis. I know. And then, like, uh, LeGarrick Long. Yeah. Long, well, he was bigger than five high. He, yeah, he was yeah. a big dude. Yeah. But, I mean, Belichick's going to just go to the PDLL and just draft, like, former lacrosse players. Uh, Chris Hogan. Chris Why Hogan. Not? Yeah. Screw I mean, they're shifty and they're great athletes. Yeah. He'll make it work. He'll make it work. So, yeah. my stock in the Giants now, my stock in Newport now. Yeah. So, before we close out, um, any last words on whether it's advice as a CEO or why people should swing by to Newport? We'll start with the advice as a CEO, and we'll swing over to you know why people should stop by Newport uh, this summer. Advice as a CEO, I would say being being able to listen. I think when people get power and they're leaders and managers, they don't listen enough, and I think. Doesn't mean you have to always say. If you listen to someone, you always have to do what they say. But I think taking the time to listen to why someone's talking to you or bringing something to you, um, you can kind of get a pulse of what's going on for your company. You can get a pulse for what's going on in your community if people are coming to you. You can get a pulse for the industry if, like, when you guys came to me the first time, the questions you were asking me, I was kind of very tuned into why you were asking me these. Um, so I think listening is extremely important and something that I wasn't good at when I was younger um, that I've gotten, I think, really good at. And then learning from what you listen and reading or listening a lot. Like, I, I'm a prolific reader, listener of books, podcasts. I First thing I do in the morning is I read Bloomberg or New York Times just to kind of see what the day looks like. It doesn't affect my day-to-day -day at the brewery, but, like, I do a lot of other things, whether it's with a SPAC or... Um, other hospitality things like I'm, I'm very involved with what's going on in the world and I think you need to be aware and see everything that's going on and know a little bit about everything like if you find that you have a blind spot I think you need to fix it and learn about it like you don't need to be an expert in everything but you need to be able to talk about everything and by doing all those things then you gain confidence and I think 
communicating what your expectation is for your employees is extremely important because if they don't know what you expect and you get mad at them for not doing what they you wanted them to do, then you look like you don't know what you're doing. If you lay out to your employees about micromanaging them, how you want them to run their business unit or do their job, and they do it or they don't do it, then you have a ground to stand on to either discipline them or promote them. You know, so you just have to treat people with common sense and treat people well and listen and all that will kind of instill confidence in you. And as far as Newport, I know that we say Newport a lot, and I think one of the things we're working on right now is we are going through a rebrand of Newport Craft, and we're updating a lot of the beer side of things, and it's it's good to do that um, every couple of years. And we're working on our story on like who we are, what we are. We're a brand collective, and what that means is that we are multiple companies in one, where we have Newport Craft Brewing, we have Newport Craft Distilling, we have Radiant Cape Craft Beers, we have Raven Brewing. Under Newport Distilling, we have Thomas Two Rums, which is four rums. We have Sea Fog Whiskeys, which is going to be three whiskeys soon. We have Sea Spirits, Clear Spirits, which are going to be coming out in the fall, summer, or uh, spring next year, which is our vodka gin, like kind of Clear Spirit lines. We have our Sea Spirit RTVs. And we're going to have more brands too. Like we're looking, we're always looking at acquiring and acquisitions, and we want to be able to fill our capacity with good companies and good people. I think we we do something different because we have a lot of different kind of people. Um, we're very involved in the community, and we have very good world class products that are for everybody. Yeah. Well, I speak for both of us when I say I'm really excited to see you know all this as it comes along. Uh, we're looking. Really forward to, to following you guys on the journey, and uh, I'm excited to drink some more beer. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> so. I was going to say uh, the best. I mean, we have a lot of great beers, but my personal favorite one right now is called California Love. It's a West Coast IPA that we just um, we're doing it for Folk Fest. It's under Radiant Pig. Um, I don't think a lot of people really do West Coast IPAs that are local right now, and it's the branding is awesome on it. Um, the beer is great, and the other one right now is Coast, which is a, a pale ale that tastes like a juice bomb, but it's actually only, I think, 5% alcohol and only like about 100 calories. Wow. So those are two really cool ones. And then really out of the tasting room and some local places, we're doing our Sea Spirits RTDs, which are really using like fruit puree in our own spirits. So it's very different than a lot of the RTDs that are out there right now. And we're starting them small and getting people kind of used to them, and then we're going to kind of expand that out more and more. Yeah, unreal. Well, good to see you as always. Yep, you guys um, too. Thanks so much for taking the time with us. To close out, where can our listeners find Newport uh, Craft physically, and where can they keep up with you guys on the internet too? So we are at 293 JT Connell Highway in Newport, Rhode Island, um, which is in the north end of Newport. Uh, we're actively looking for tap rooms in New York. So Radiant Pig and Graven were New York brands that didn't have a home. Um, we are looking for a tap room so we can have a physical space in New York at some point, but we make all of them here. Um, online, it's at Newport Craft Brewing, at Newport Craft Distilling, uh, at Radiant Pig Craft Beers, at Raven Brewing. Um, our website is same Newport Craft Brewing, and if you reach out to the through our DMs or through our website info, if you ever have any questions, events, we have great event people. We can we're we're really agnostic to we don't usually say no. We don't like to be in a box. So if you want to do something special here, we're always open to it. We're gonna have a very unique facility where we can have 300 people for big events. We're gonna have outdoor facilities. So um, come try us out and give us a chance. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Well, we appreciate the time. Good luck the rest of the summer and uh, 
we'll keep in touch. Thank you guys. Thanks, man. And that was just Brendan O'Donnell of Newport Craft and the Audrain Hospitality Group. Uh, one hell of an interview, as always. The guy is doing some incredible stuff down in South County, Newport, and all across the state. And if you haven't been to Newport Craft, definitely check it out. We highly recommend. We had a lot of, I mean, also thank you to Brendan for the incredible hospitality and the care package on the way out. Um, beers up the wazoo. I think my favorite of the bunch. That's I, a tough one. It's a tough one. But honestly, for I'm not a big Pilsner guy. The Bushwick Pilsner, it hits. It I'm really telling does. you, that was what I was going to say. And I, that, you almost stole the words from my mouth because I will, I think you and I are similar tastes in the sense that like, will we have a Pilsner? Yes, we would. And we'll enjoy it, but we're not going to reach for it necessarily. Um, I reach for the Bushwick. Yeah. I don't know if it's like with the, the bright yellow label and the bold font that it's just very attention grabbing, but the kind taste, of rustic, is that like, the right word? The taste backs it up. Oh yeah. The taste Wait. backs it up. And like I said, Pilsners wouldn't be my first choice, but I would, anytime I go to the beach now, I would, I would hope to pack that in because it's light, crisp and refreshing. It's the perfect beer to drink in a baseball game. So Mm -hmm. all that stuff about city field, right? Obviously Brendan was walking us through his partnership with the New York Mets. Um, Right after we interviewed him last year, went down to city field in like June, which checks out and they were serving Bushwick. So I got it, you know, got them for my dad, my uncle, my cousin. Um, I, I will tell you, I think it eclipses Blue Point toasted lager for best beer I've drank in a baseball game. And yeah. I'm going to die on that hill. I, I'm willing to die on that hill that Bushwick by Braven, by Newport Craft, by Audrain is the best beer I've had at a baseball game. It's just, it's a, it's a good ballpark beer. And I honestly, I can't wait till they put, um, coast. I hope they get coast into some ballparks. If they got coast up at Fenway, it's a locale pale ale. I think it's like a hundred, 105 calories. That one was super refreshing as well. Like a craft Mick ultra. And again, it's, it's something that the lighter beers aren't necessarily my favorite or in my wheelhouse, but two for two, they hit well. I agree. Um, wow, we should do a segment on ballpark beers too. Like That'd be a good, ballpark beers and food. Food would be interesting because I feel like I need to sharpen my pencil on food. I feel like I'm so boring at like ballpark food because I'm I'm okay. You can please me with like a sausage and peppers. Maybe yeah, not a I'm hot dog. A, I'm a hot dog, sausage and pepper. It's easy, but it's hard because like, well, Fenway doesn't really have a lot of options. It's gotten I also, better, but not at the pace the rest of the league has. Yeah, I haven't really done a couple laps around Fenway to be like, oh, they have so-and-so or this. Like, Yankee Stadium still has some of the best dining, and I'm not even being biased. It's, and it's they just, just overhauled fact. it, too, which is yeah. so cool. They just brought all new stuff in there, and it's like just when you thought, like, oh, this is pretty good, like probably top half of the league, they jacked it up, and I'd say top five in the league for Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. uh, food. I mean, you can get full-blown sushi or like a teriyaki bowl there. Which is – you're losing me there a little bit. But... <laughs> yeah, I don't want to eat sushi yeah. while I'm like watching the Yankees – <laughs> going to like extra innings against some really good team uh, i can't do that yeah definitely a stretch but 
but here's the thing like also with these big towers of ice cream and stuff like i don't know you might lose me there too and i get it the kids always love like their ice cream but i can't do these fancy milkshakes after like having a couple beers a sausage and peppers maybe maybe some peanuts or some garlic fries like i can't just drown myself in like thick ice cream after that yeah just keep it simple especially in the heat the heat right now this 95 100 degree heat it's not even enjoyable to go to baseball games all right i'm not sitting i'm not sitting and sweating in a one o'clock game in 105 degree heat i'm not give me give me a twist in a cone that's yeah. it or even a helmet cup at, cool most, at most at most that's ballpark food but that we, we will come back to that. I like <laughs> that segment. Yeah, we'll, we'll make that a segment, but we'll transition to balls and we'll start with baseball. Before we do that, balls is brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house for 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, we've talked about it before. The Lawnmower 4.0 is one of our favorite products. Head over to the site and you can get yours for 20% off. Your balls will thank you later. So go to manscaped.com slash house for 20% off. And we're talking balls. We got to talk baseball first. The trade deadline, it is upon us. A couple big, I mean, how do we want to start this? Do we want to start with biggest names on the block that be, could, could be on the move or who's going to be buyers and sellers around the league? Oh, this is juicy. You want to do buyers and sellers? Yes, because. Oh, yeah, you do. You give, us, ta- uh, give us your takes here. Well, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with the small state guys, how if the Red Sox were either above 500, below 500, right at the needle, like would right, they be buyers right. or sellers? And now I'm intrigued because at the moment, they are 48 and 48, lost five straight, let up in the past four games over 60 runs. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> 60 runs in four games? It was something where... It was before the All-Star break. They lost to the Yankees. They lost to the Yankees um, like 13 to – what happened? The Red Sox lost 14 to 1 to the Yankees on Saturday, July 16th, and 13 and 2 – 13 to 2 on Sunday, July 17th. Then the All-Star break happened, and then the first game back from the All-Star game was this holy shit – 28 to 5 loss to the Blue Jays. The inside the park home run was the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. That was bad, man. Like, how do you not just he cut Jared Duran after that? Duran just gave up. He saw he lost the ball and then just like turned around and just like shook his head and like walked away. I'm like, there's guy, like, there was a guy running on second. Yeah, you let up the (laughs) runs, but like you, you finish that out. But it's at the point now where they are fourth place in the American League East, a half a game ahead of the Orioles. And at this very moment, the Orioles are up 5-1 against the Rays in the top of the ninth, and the Red Sox are up 3-1 against the Guardians. It's still going to be a half a game. Do they buy or sell? I think they sell. I, I agree. I, well, I think they should sell. Right, I don't know what they will do because it seems like seems like Hein Bloom has been a wild card lately, um, and I don't even know that he's necessarily the problem with the Sox. And and 
I'm sure you listen to small state big takes this week. Small but quick plug for small state big takes. They broke this all down with um I think it was Terry Cushman this past week. They they had a long discussion about this and I don't know. I, I I'm like more unclear at this point if Bloom is the problem or if he was just dealt a bad hand. Um and regardless I think if Bloom was, if he knew what was right for this team, he'd probably sell it. Like Josh Martin was making a great point. It's like, if you buy, I don't care where you're at in the MLB season. Like if you buy, you need to believe you are, you have a legitimate chance to win the world series and you need to fully believe that because otherwise what the fuck are you buying for? Correct. And right now, I think the Sox unbiased view just have too much. Too many question marks. Too many question marks. Too many question marks in a very tough division. I mean, again, you're fourth place at 500. Half game, like the Orioles are a team that I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but they're definitely making some noise. Um, And again, the Red Sox have been dealt a shit hand this year, like a ton of injuries. The pitching was not where it's needed to be. They're never, they have not been fully healthy. But my question is, do you sell now because... Rafael Devers is due for some money. Xander Bogarts is due for some money. I mean, do you flip Xander Bogarts right now for a massive prospect haul? I don't know. I definitely, if I'm Bloom, I don't flip Devers. No way. Like you have to make that work. You have to make that work. I kind of liken that to Judge to, and I don't want to piss people off. I don't want to open up like, ooh, who's better, Judge or Devers, right? But it's like the same deal. It's, and, and you have to wonder too, does Mookie haunt you at this point? Uh, right now, if you're looking at 2022 stats, the answer has got to be no. You know, we made the right choice. You know, Verdugo and prospects, blah, 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 right? I don't know what money Devers commands, but I do know they need to extend all efforts to make it work. And they also made a good point. It's like, should should they decide to sell I feel like they're just going to do it, uh, you know, because Devers contract year is next year. If they're going to sell Devers, I feel like he will not play his contract year in Boston. I think that's going to go down beforehand. And I don't know. I don't think it's this year. I think it's probably going to go down in the off season if they were yeah. to make some blockbuster trade, but I, I don't know. I, my, I guess my point is I, I'm, I don't know what the hell the Sox are going to do. I think they just, if they haven't figured it out, they need to, they need to figure out what their identity is like right now. Yeah, because, I mean, right now you are – the AL is a gauntlet of teams. So they're three games back from the second wild card. Um, it's actually pretty – like, they're in decent shape. But, again, they're the in decent is shape. Like, but, like, the Guardians are two games back. The White Sox are three games back. The Orioles are three and a half games back. The Rangers are seven games back. It's anybody's ball game right now. And then if you look at the division, I mean, they're 17 half games back from the Yankees and then another five games back from the Blue Jays. I mean, the question is like, can you, yeah, do you, is it worth like, right. can you, are you going to pick up a Kyle Schwarber esque player like last season to make a run? And I get it right. There's the other side of it. That's, Oh, well, you only need to get right, like hot at the right time. Look what the Braves did, right? Everybody counted them out. They're like, oh, they were, their backs were against the wall in the early stages of the playoffs. But 
they did their thing. They got hot at the right time. Freeman was on fire. Everybody else was playing well. Solaire was incredible and they just strung it together and won. Right. So mm-hmm. I just don't know where that comes from this year for the Red Sox. Like, yeah. do you, do you find a guy like, I, I don't know who's the guy, like uh, they just have so many questions in the outfield and Bobby Dahlbeck, I think sucks. Um, Vasquez is a mid catcher. I, and I hate so that's what I'm it. saying. Like, would you, I, I wouldn't put them in the position as a buyer. I think they you should be a seller. Many areas do improve. That's my hot take. So if you go across the league, we'll start with the AL East, obviously. I, there's been mumblings that like the Orioles might be sellers. I don't think they should touch anything, but I don't think they should either. I think they should just let it ride and see what happens. Yeah. Because I mean, there was murmurs that like Trey Mancini's like, yep, this is probably my last week in Baltimore, but you know, it it might be the Rays hit or miss. I can't tell if they're ever buyers or sellers. I think they just stand pat. I think the Blue Jays will be buyers. I think they're a team that will uh, try to retool a little bit, especially after the disappointing start that they've had thus far. But they're on a little six-game win streak, not too bad. And then the Yankees, of course, have to be buyers. Um, Part of my blog that I dropped today was, you know, in recent seasons, the Yankees were heavy buyers. And they were never in the position that they are today. If you go back the past couple seasons, I mean, last year, they were in like third place come the deadline and they picked up Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo and Clay Holmes, Wandy Peralta. And I don't remember off the top of my head, 2017, I just got it up. So 2021, they were 56 and 49, third in the AL East. And they picked up Gallo, Heaney, Holmes, Rizzo, Jolie Rodriguez, you're third in the AL East making a push like that. Crazy. In 2018, they were second in the AL East. They picked up Britton, Jay Happ, Luke Voigt, and Lance Lynn. Okay, starting to supply the, the cavalry, not too bad. In 2017, they were second place in the AL East at 57 and 49. That was the year they picked up Sonny Gray, Jaime Garcia, Todd Frazier, David Robinson, Tommy Canley, and Garrett Cooper. If you're telling me right now they're not about to make a massive splash, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I think they're about to put all the chips in. I really do. Mm. You got me thinking now. And there's a gauntlet of names that can be available. So if you just look at the Yankees, what do they need? They need an outfielder that can hit because Joey Gallo ain't it. They need bullpen depth because Michael King is now hurt. They could use an additional starting pitcher. As I was going to se- say, that's what came to mind for me. I'm like, eh, could you use a six starter? Yeah, why not? You know, as the season has been getting longer and Severino's now on the IR, IL, uh, Domingo Herman, you not you don't know what you're going to get from. And then you could do an upgrade at defensive shortstop. Not necessarily a need, but I don't know that they should go for that. It's now. not, it's That's... not a, it's not a necessity, you know, yeah. worry about the first three first. And then of course, more firepower, preferably a lefty bat. 
you know, if that's always just something where it's like, Hey, you know, last year, did they need Anthony Rizzo? No, but that was pretty nice. It, yeah. That was actually sick to have a first baseman that was healthy and is healthy now. Yeah. So Unreal. if we just go down the list of like potential people outfield, you have the guys like Brian Reynolds from the pirates, any of the Royals, Ben attendee, Michael Taylor, Whit Merrifield, um, Ian Hat from the Cubs, David Peralta from the Diamondbacks, Austin Meadows from the Tigers, question mark. That'd be kind of nice. I would like that. Cole Calhoun. Fire kind of stuff. Taking yeah. the uh, taking the old Rays guy. Cole Calhoun's having a good year. Yeah. So a couple names there. The bullpen depth. If we're heading back to the Cubs, David Robertson, little reunion. Um, then there's there are guys like Daniel Bard from the Rockies, who's having a pretty good year. Same with Ian Kennedy of the Diamondbacks. Uh, David Bednar from the Pirates, though. He's been having a nice little all-star career, all-star year. And then Gregory Soto on the Tigers is a uh, very, very solid closer. And then your starting pitchers are the two names that we got to keep an eye out. It's going to be Luis Castillo and Frankie Montas. The Yankees have been tied with them for a while, but you can get a guy maybe like, Jose Quintana from the Pirates for cheap. Martin Perez has had a nice little surprise. Uh, Wasn't he an all-star? He was an all-star, but the Rangers are nowhere in the position to compete. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Trading for Gallo. <laughs> Just straight up. Just straight up. Part of me thinks the Rangers would take that, though. No, my I will die on this hill that I would the trade I would love to see is Joey Gallo for Blake Snell straight up. Hmm. Literally go, go Joey Gallo can go figure out the rest of his career or well, the rest of his contract because he's going to not command any money this off season. So go fix yourself in, in San Diego, get some warm weather, chill. And then Blake Snell can go work with uh, Matt Blake and just become the Cy Young runner up that he used to be. Yeah, those are all good. I mean, I've um, debated this at length, too, and I, I still don't know what the right answer is. Juan Soto. I have a lot of questions about this. Um, yep. In my take, and I, I've sat with this a bunch, I think the Yankees could go for it if they wanted to, but I don't know what's I, – I genuinely do not know what goes on in Brian Cashman's brain. Because now let's play this out. Say the Yankees were interested in Soto, which I'm sure they've called, right? You've got to call Mike Rizzo John, and see what he wants. John Heyman did confirm they called. Yes. I, yeah. All right. I, I do believe John Heyman. I do. So they call. You have to think of Catherine calls. He sees Judge as, or he sees Soto as, Maybe an improvement over Judge. That's just my take with it. And but the question becomes: How much more is he willing to spend on a guy like Soto than Aaron Judge? And I, I don't know. I don't know what the, that answer is. But the difference is, though, is Soto is in an undraft. He is in a unrestricted free agent until twenty twenty five. So like, he's also much younger too. He's twenty three compared to Judge's thirty. Don't get me so, wrong. Is that and, worth the delta of like, all right, let's call it a 35 million AAV? But think about it though. You don't 50? have to, like Soto doesn't need to make like trading for Soto 
is the biggest win now movement there is because you don't have to like you can get him keep him for two and a half years win two world series and then just let him walk and still re-sign judge right like part of me thinks i mean let's get real if you were to if you traded if you were to trade for juan soto right now i mean Talent wise, is that the best group assembled on a field? Oh my goodness. Easy. Yeah, I don't think that claim is far off. I really don't. And do you bank on like, all right, we do Soto, Judge walks, and we get to see them for three months and we get a ring? I can't say I I hate that. I can't say that I don't love it. I really can't. Yeah. And I'm at the point too where I am tired of the prospect hugging. And if there is a time to get rid of your top three prospects, it's for Juan Soto. Oh, you trade Dominguez instantly. Well, this is, so here is the past top 10, the number one prospect the Yankees have had in the past 10 years. In 2013, Mason Williams. Who? Mid. (laughs) 2014, Gary Sanchez. No Mid. longer, no longer part of the team. 2015, Luis Severino. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, he's not a, a Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer type, but he's good. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. 2016, Jorge Mateo. Uh, actually doing well with the Orioles. Oh, but like superstar? Uh, definitely not superstar, but he is. He, he is. He is. That's it. 2017 and 18, Glaber Torres. Good. Yep. All-star. 2019, Esteban Florio. Hasn't really cracked his shot yet. 2020 and 2021, Dominguez. 2022, Anthony Volpe. The reason I say all of this, you out of those 10 years, only two of those guys are still on the team. And, like, they're not Juan Juan Soto-type players. No, just, just trade Dominguez. Get him, get him out of there. I don't care how good he's going to be. Get him out. So, Dominguez I mean, is not Juan Soto right now. I'm, I'm, I'm trading Juan Soto. I'm trading one of Anthony Volpe or Oswaldo Cabrera. Uh, Peraza, I'm, right? I mean, Peraza. Yes. And I'm trading a pitching prospect and whatever else. Here's my really hot take. I give the Nationals whatever they want. I think I would do. Am I sick for saying that I don't care if Aaron Judge is not on the team next year and Juan Soto is for the next 10, 15 years? I mean, it would be incredible. Am I sick for saying that? I think this is. I don't know. It's one of those moves where. Oh, so no matter no matter what the team is, but it especially has to be the Yankees. You worry about the Juan Soto money in twenty twenty the summer the season going into twenty twenty five. I don't know. I guess because you like he's gonna get fucking paid. He's gonna get paid. But think about like, do you think the Dodgers have any regrets trading the prospects for like? The three months of Manny Machado. Look at this. This is like they're just dominating. And also, 
I don't understand now how like the Dodgers are one of the favorites. How do they have unlimited prospects? I don't know, man. The Dodgers have traded. Like if you think about the Dodgers, what they've traded in the, in just in the past couple of years recently, they traded for Manny Machado, Mookie Betts, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner. And still are like, yeah, we can fuck around. Everybody. Again. Yeah. They're like, we can still fuck around and get Juan Soto. Oh my. Oh, and they and they and they signed Freddie Freeman. Yeah, true. Yeah. And they picked up Freeman. Yep. They picked up Freeman and it's like, and they never gave up Gavin Lux in any of those. Yeah, deals. they're all that. They're like, no, we're called Gavin Lux. So Who like, isn't even that great? You know, but <laughs> it's, it's like, like fine. how how have they managed that? And then meanwhile, it's like that one season where like Michael Fulmer was like being decent for the Tigers. They're like, yo, we want Gleyber Torres and Aaron judge. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's blasphemy, but getting back to the narrative, you trade. What's the most you would give up for Juan Soto? Because I saw someone had a propose of like throwing in Glaber and Nestor. I'm kind of out on that. I would do it. I wouldn't even think twice. I huh? would well, I would do it if you can tell me there's moves to replenish that. Because like obviously, you know Just bet on Peraza and uh well, that's assuming that's assuming they don't go, which I'm sure they would take. I'm sure that involves like Labor Nestor and uh one of the two, at least, right? I don't think many I don't think many teams would give up an ML very much like formidable ML like I don't think anyone's given up an all-star for Juan Soto I think it's going to be very prospect heavy oh yeah because the nationals are like all right cool we whiffed on this we've got to trade it yeah you know so I think like if anything the if the Yankees want to include MLB ready players like Florial JP Sears and Duhar that are like because in the mindset too it's like if they can collect a bounty of six seven eight players in a trade they want guys that are cheap too. The Nationals aren't in the position to spend. Like getting a guy like Glaber Torres, who will is going to be, you know, in two three years up for a, a massive bag. They need the guys that are five six seven years until they're arbitration eligible. Yeah, I I don't know. I think like so. Here's my take. But you also know? the Nationals need to, the Nationals, which a lot of people have been talking about want to unload patrick corbin's contract yeah which like great like but then they're gonna have to i don't know so that makes this way less appetizing for the yankees and i look at somebody if that's the case i feel like the padres or the dodgers are most suited to take both like to do that scenario right because the padres are sort of like i think they're sick and tired of being little brother right now and they're just like yeah you know we're we then they have a good team um Part of me thinks in their prospect system is really good. I think they could just go for it and they could just say like, screw all you guys. We're going to sign Soto to a massive freaking contract. Going to ride him out, make a little big three with Tatis. If he ever comes back, like fully healthy and Machado for as long as he's healthy and contributing, which it sounds like, I mean, how good has Machado been? He's been pretty decent these past couple of years. Um, MVP. Longevity is going to be great season. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, he's one of those guys that like he's just going to stick around and consistently be really good for the Padres. So I don't know. Do you, if you're the Padres, you just say fuck all this shit. I'm done with uh, done with the Dodgers pushing us around. I think there's a world that like you know Soto and Corbin both go to San Diego and San Diego unloads their prospects and they just say, hey, no, we're winning now. We're going to win games right now. We're going to contend for the World Series. I don't know. I'd say, give a gun to my head, I'd take San Diego to take him here. I think I've been fantasizing the Yankees scenario mostly, but I don't know. I like San Diego to take him. I mean, my, if he gets moved, who knows if he even gets I moved? I don't think, see, like, that's the thing. The reason I wanted to, you know, I didn't include him in the initial conversation of uh, those impending trade rumors is I really don't think he gets moved this deadline I think he's getting moved this week i think he gets moved in the off season i would agree with that but i don't think he yeah i don't think he gets to, like it's just too short of a timeline for a trade like this to i agree i mean he can created. call right all these gms can call and say like all right you know let me get a pulse on what the, the nationals want but I just, I mean, it's, we would then again, though, then again, though, the nationals did trade a lot of people last year, including Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers. That's very true. And the Dodgers were a trustworthy trade partner for them. Now, granted those were rentals. Yeah. Because like, well, I don't know. I don't know if Trey Turner's still there. Yeah. But I don't know if he was a free um, like if he signed a new contract this offseason, I think he actually. Well, let's see. Uh, he signed a one year. So that's probably his arb. Hmm. One year, twenty one million. That's probably. Is that what he signed or? Yeah, he signed it. With the Dodgers or? Yes. Yep. So he's got this is technically his contract year. Interesting. 13 million last year, 21 million this year. And again, they lost they lost Scherzer to the Mets. Yep. He's another guy that's 29. Shortstop market's gonna be pretty hot this year, too. Yeah, especially Correa's uh, probably gonna get paid. Correa's gonna opt out. Xander. Yeah, Correa, Xander, and Turner, I mean, we know what that market's going to be like now because we just did it this past year because Seeger and, and Correa again and Simeon technically. Marcus Simeon. Both end up on the same team. I don't know. Yeah, I, my hot take, I don't think Soto's getting dealt. I think if the Padres make a move, here's my bold take, I think they're going to try to throw the house at Contreras. Interesting. They're catching situations is too volatile i mean they tried to platoon nola and uh jorge alfaro who i thought would work i thought alfaro was better like i thought he would have that starting role but he just sucked and they can probably make a play for like uh like the podges i can definitely see try to like call up the cubs and be like all right we could use half robertson and contre and uh wilson contreras what do you want they could yeah they could honestly just and that very well could be the move they make. And they'll just say, all right, cool. This might be enough to get us there. Probably, you know, we, could we beat the Dodgers? Maybe we'll find out. We think our talent's good enough. Um, 
there's still a hefty hole behind the Dodgers. That's they exciting. are they're 11 and a half games back. Yeah. So I don't want to hear it from Dave Roberts saying, oh, the NOS is the hardest division. They're good, but they're just – the Dodgers are just so much better than anyone else. You have two teams that are over 500. The Giants are 48 and 47, one game over. Meanwhile, everyone is 500 in the AL East. I'm standing by Yankees, Mets, or Astros, Mets this year. Well, I'm a little concerned about this Subway Series that is – this mini subway series that's happening this week. <laughs> I know it's a two game subway series. And one of them is Domingo versus Max Scherzer. Oh, fucking lovely. Someone had a tweet out today. Oh. It was just like, if they delayed Domingo's re- like reintroduction start by one game, he would have been playing like the Orioles and the Royals rather than the Astros and the Mets. That's just like a bad, that's a bad baseball move. You know what Domingo versus Scherzer is? That's an L. I was going to say it. It's an L. Yeah. They're, that fucking game. They're losing it. I need the Mets to. I just think Domingo sucks now. Like, I don't know. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I think he's a criminal. And, well, I mean, he is a criminal. He was charged with it. Yeah, and he's, they... he's not himself. The Yankees can send Domingo, Chapman, and Gallo to the moon. I'm okay with that. Because they're offering nothing. Send them down. You don't have to send them the moon. You can send them the Scranton. Can you even? Uh, no. So the way that you, well, I mean, yeah, the answer is yes, but I mean, they're not going to go for it. They're so not going to send them down, but they hit waivers for 10 days. And like anyone could just be like, yeah, I'm claiming him. I mean, or they can also just accept early because they have the option when you send them down, they're like, you can accept an outright release too if you have accrued enough service time. But maybe, maybe Gal will be like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to get the swing right in Scranton. <laughs> like, they're both, I, I mean, they both won't be Yankees next year. I sure hope not. Something's have, wrong if that happened. Is Chapman done? Is his contract up? This is his contract year. Thank God. <laughs> Thank the good Lord. Sucks. And I really wanted I the Yankees. I, I'm, yeah. I can't disparage him, though. He does suck this year, but he, he gave us some awesome moments. Some awesome moments. And when he re-signed a couple of years ago, I was super ecstatic because I was like, he is an unstoppable force in the bullpen, but yeah, now I'm like, get him away as far as possible. I'm like, bro, you're not even the, you're not even, you're not even the setup man, setup man. But he, yeah, it's true. It's he's one of those guys that every time you, and I know you had this feeling. Every time he got on the mound, you're like, God damn it, like I'm gonna have to struggle through this ninth inning. Yeah, it's like not a guarantee whatsoever. Is that worth the fact that he throws 104? Never. No. Because we had never. Mariano that just went out and, you know, he w- Mariano was never throwing or Mariano was never throwing over 95. He was striking everybody, but he got on the mound and you're like, all right, this game's over. Could be Manny Ortiz and, um, and Veritek at bat. And you're like, no, this game's over. He's striking all the mound. Well, maybe not Ortiz, but. Oh, how I, I long for someone like that back. I mean, Clay Holmes is not, he's good, but he's no mo. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
So that's my hot take. I think uh, my deadline pick is that Contreras is going to go to the Padres uh, this week. So that, I'll leave it at that. I think that's the biggest splash we'll get. Um, I don't know. You have anything big that's going to go down this week? I feel like I think the biggest names that will be dealt are Luis Castillo and Andrew Benatendi. That's fair. I don't know where Castillo ends up. I mean, selfishly, I'd like both of them in pinstripes. I think. Hey, that's a really successful deadline if both of them end up at. The you place. get you get those two, and I feel comfortable. Oh, for, uh, that's instant team improvement. Mm-hmm. That's a World Series team with both of them. Yeah. So, a name that I would like to see being being dealt is Brian Reynolds, Pirates outfielder. I just don't know if the Pirates are going to do that or their asking price seems like it's pretty crazy too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like that's a guy that if they like they said, I, and I know your prospect hugging point sort of negates this, but it's like if, if they said, like, give us your best prospects, I'd probably pass. Speaking of insane asking prices, I mean, before we close out the ball segment, I guess we got to talk about NBA trades. Yeah, that was, that's a great segue into the next one. Go ahead. Because talking about teams that need to catch a reality check it's nba guys and these superstars so obviously everyone and their mother is either getting traded because their team's going through a rebuild or doesn't want to play for their team so donovan mitchell kevin durant kyrie irving potentially russell westbrook um it's just been banana land ever since the jazz traded Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves for a haul and a half. So now the Jazz are like, for Donovan Mitchell, we want six first-round picks and three young players. (laughs) And as Knicks fans, we both want Donovan Mitchell greatly. I don't care about the picks, but that's a crazy asking price for Donovan Mitchell. The Originally, what the Nets wanted for Kevin Durant was just not even possible. They were like, we want 12 first-round picks and then half the stadium rights of wherever team you're from. And that's and want, bullshit. Or we want a patch, and we want two all-stars. It was just, you know, like, it's a crazy amount. But the recent rumor coming around is the Celtics have offered, I believe it was Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a first-rounder or two where the Nets came back and said, we want Marcus Smart. Yeah. I, I don't know. Call me crazy. I don't – and I'm a, I am a Brad Stevens guy. Like, I think he's done great stuff for the Celtics. Um, why are you offering Jalen Brown for Durantula? I don't know. Yeah. There's just something – there's something up there. Something up. I mean, my, my whole thing is it's like, okay, you're not – you know, to land a player like Kevin Durant, you're not going to get away with some of the other players that you have on your team. If they trade, you know, one of their point guards, either in Derek White or Marcus Smart, you just got Malcolm Brogdon in. And, like, the ball handling kind of gets moved around anyway when Durant's there. My question is, is 
why would you trade for Kevin Durant and blow up everything you've built with Jason Tatum? Because Jason Tatum now, it's like, that's one of the issues with NBA teams in, in general is when these like big trades happen is you already have a dynamic of like, who's your number one guy and who like follows through the ranks below. Jason Tatum is your guy and has been for the past couple of years. He now has to take that second. He needs to take that number two role. And does that work out in Boston when like, they've already been, been to the ass for a guy like Kyrie who was supposed to come in and take that one. I don't know. I just don't think the science works. I just feel like you're imploding a, imploding a roster that just made it to the finals and then now have added pieces without giving up anything. I don't think they should pursue it. Yeah. Like why would, I don't know. You have everything going right for you. I mean, the, you have a great coach that's like development first focus. He's like very much like check the ego at the door. And I'm not saying Durant's like an, necessarily an egotistical guy, but can the argument be made? Sure. Okay. Willing to have that debate, but you just have so much youthful talent and like one of the best talent developers in the league right now. Why do you piss that all away? Why do you yeah. piss that all the way for a guy that's going to be the center of attention for a guy that, you know, might be calling some of the shots offensively. Who knows? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know why they would do that. I'm, I'm just not sure. I, I think if I'm the Celtics, I stand pat and I say, no, screw trading Jalen Brown. Like let's develop him a little bit more. Let's add a couple of skills to his tool belt. Let's make him a little bit more of a, you know, better defensive player, right? A, sort of a three-way offensive kind of guy. I don't know. It's my two cents. I think you definitely do the due diligence as, you know, the GM of, hey, what are you guys asking Kevin Durant for? Yeah, you have to make your team better, right? Like, that's Brad Stevens' job is, like, I am responsible for making this team better. I just Which, don't... sure, go go make the phone call, but, like, don't throw an offer out that you aren't, like, going to stand by necessarily, right? Yeah. And uh, it's like, again, I think four years ago, three years ago, even two years ago, it's like, okay, I would trade Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. Now, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, mm, you're losing me there. You're losing me there. I'm definitely lost for damn sure. But I don't know. I don't, I still don't know where Durant ends up. Hopefully Donovan Mitchell comes to the Knicks and my final trade offer is Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish, and Quentin Grimes and two first round picks. Final offer. I'm with that. Or, or four first round picks and two players. I would also probably do that. So... Because God only knows the Knicks don't use their first-round picks adequately. That's the thing. They have eight first-round picks in the next three years, four years. Trade them. Yeah. Trade them. It's like – Give them to know. Utah. Let, them, yeah. let Utah rebuild. The Knicks, we saw what they did last year. Like, not the previous – like, not the immediate past year, but, like, 2020 to 2021 where Tibbs came in. He just said, we're doing this shit my way. And it's it like, worked would, well for one yeah. year. Keep keep – Keep Obi Toppin and preferably keep Emmanuel quickly. If you keep that young core together with RJ, I'm all for it. 
and then to make the start Peter kiss. Yeah. To make the money work (laughs) in this trade, you have to include either Fournier or Derek Rose. And I said, keep, keep Derek Rose as that sixth man right behind Jalen Brunson. Yeah. He's in the point guard depth gets too loose. If you trade him, I'd have to agree where it's like Fournier plays the two and the three. So pop him out. His ideally would be Jalen Brunson at the one, Donovan Mitchell at the two, RJ at the three, Randall at the four, Mitch Robinson at the five. Your second team is Derek Rose, Manuel Quickly. If your three guards kind of light, it'd probably be like Miles McBride. I don't really know. Your four is Obi. I don't know who's playing the three. Obi could probably play the three too. Peter Kiss can play the three. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, and then you have that guy from uh, the Clippers, Isaiah Hartstein, as the backup. Oh, uh, Hartenstein, yeah, he's. And then Jericho Sims can also play a stretch four or five role. You have that Trevor Keels from Duke, Miles McBride. I wish they had Jalen Duran. That would be pretty cool. It was there. It was there. I do. I wish they went a little big and put some pressure on Mitch. Uh, I guess we'll do with our Isaiah Hartenstein. Whatever. That's a it's a good squad, but give me Donovan. We'll be fine. It'll be all right. I've been waiting. I literally went to the Vivian 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 Arena in Salt Lake City just to protest. I I did. I enjoyed your protest. And I was, you got to just trade them. Just don't ask for too much. Don't get greedy. That's for another day. We'll break all this stuff down. Um, Good stuff. I think we hit everything in balls. Um, Yeah, I I think I can't reiterate enough. I don't think so. I think the Yankees should go for Soto, but not now. Off-season move. If if, If Judge leaves, you trade the house for Soto. I guess so. Well, or, you know, I can I, just trade for Soto now and then just be like, hey, look at this, look at this duo you're creating, this trio. Yeah, you could rent them. You could rent them and then re-sign Judge. Oh my God. Oh, that would be sick. Go, Aaron. You're having an MVP type season. We just added Juan Soto, we're gonna win the World Series. We're gonna win the World Series. It's a hometown discount, dude. Not even a hometown discount. We'll give you the thirty-five a year. Here's thirty-five mil. Just win a couple, like two World Series of Juan Soto, and we'll just bite the bullet. That's it. That would be some kind of special. That would be it. That is what, and I don't want to piss traditionalists off. You gotta think that's one of the most talented Yankee teams ever. An outfield of Soto, Stanton, Judge. That's disgusting. That is. Soto never like Soto never won the MVP, right? (laughs) No, I don't think so. He's won a. uh, Did he win the World Series MVP? No, he was hurt for the World. Uh, He wasn't hurt for it, but let's see what happened here. Um, he has a world ring, series. two all stars. No, no MVP. 
for all first team. He won the batting title in 2020. Well, short in season. No, uh, Judge did. Now it's batting title. I mean, not Judge, uh, DJ. Yeah, they picked two. Oh, he was, yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Like, be disgusting. The dream team of standing in right, judge in center, Soto in left, Rizzo at first, DJ at second, IKF at short. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> dream team. Yeah. Okay. Josh Donaldson at third, Matt Carpenter. Matt, Car- Matt Carpenter at DH. Matt Carpenter at shortstop. What? <laughs> I already took Glaber off the team. Yeah, he did. <laughs> it don't matter. We have Matt Carpenter. I, I love Matt Carpenter. I love him. Jose Trevino. <laughs> Start to lose me on the dream team here. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> all-stars. I just named all-stars. You, did, you actually did, yeah. They're all-stars. It's not my dream team. Everyone on that team except IKF is an all-star. Yeah, basically. Basically. Josh Donaldson, episode, uh, Josh, Josh Donaldson won an MVP. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He was very good. He was very good. That's, That's all. Yeah. Episode, episode 94. It's a wrap. Um, wow. What a baseball pigeonhole we got into. Uh, that was fun. That was real fun. Um. Yeah, that's all. Coming up on episode 95 next week, we are only five episodes, uh, six episodes away from five, 100. Very cool. We still have to start thinking about that. We're into September at some point, so we need to uh, go throw a big bash. Uh, who knows? But it's episode 94. Beers, business, and balls. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Rate us on Spotify and Apple Music. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, everybody. Take it easy. Take it easy.